Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. The September 2022 Roundup is brought to you by Funnigan Games. And hello, everybody. Are you comfortable? Are you sitting down? Are you ready for a big explosion of game coverage? Because I've got it for you. 24 games we played and covered in the month of September, and that's a lot. It's a whole lot of run-through content, and we're going to break it all down for you uh, in countdown format. Starting with our least favorites, ending with our most favorites. Uh, you're going to have three games of the month, one from Shay, one from Kimberly, one from me. And, uh, oh my gosh, so many games. And I guess that's not... That's surprising because September is usually the heaviest month of the year for crowdfunding games. Board game uh, campaigns on Kickstarter, on uh, GameFound, and now BackerKit because all the publishers are trying to get their campaigns launched before Essen Spiel because then everybody only wants to talk about all the cool games that came out at Essen. And I want to talk about it too. In fact, this is going to be a long day for me. After I'm done filming this, I am going to be filming my Essen Spiel preview. So you'll be able to find that elsewhere on the channel. And, uh... Oh boy, uh, wish me luck, folks. Uh, first it's going to be Shay, then it's going to be Kimberly, then it's going to be me, and uh, oh, and also Ryan. Uh, Amy and Maggie, uh, they took the month off. We also aren't going to be seeing anything in Morel, but don't worry, you'll be seeing them next month in October as well because uh, we got a bunch of cool stuff coming. If you want to know what's coming on the channel, you can hit that eye in the top right corner screen, or there's a link down in the show notes for my coming soon that I update at the beginning of every month. Okay, okay. Let's stop talking about it. Let's start doing it. Let's jump over to Shay with the beginning of his five-game countdown. Shay, take it away. Thanks, Rado. So we covered a lot of games this month, so I don't want to uh, take too much time. I'm going to just jump right in with my number five game, and that is Spark Riders. This is a paid preview, and this is a co-op game set in space where you are playing as you know crew members of a ship that need to get from one place to another. There's always a different scenario, which is going to give you a slightly different, uh, you know, uh, events that come up, enemies to fight, and uh, problems to encounter or opportunities to take advantage of. There are some really cool uh, systems at play here, but one of the things that really caught me and really drew me into the world of it was the fact that this game is not only app-assisted, but the app is voice-integrated. So you are giving commands to the ship's computer the same way you see in Star Trek. And I really like that thematically. I do kind of wish that the app was a little bit more optional than it is. Sometimes you have to speak into the app, which is not always going to be what everyone wants to have, though it did work very well. So I think that the app is well designed. I just want it, I want to be able to punch in the inputs rather than have to say them every time. Uh, but other than that, I thought it was a solid uh, co-op game and I really liked the Pixar aesthetic. It had that kind of like bubblegum feel to it, which I really like. Uh, now, uh, and that's my number five. So my number four is Kingdom Come Deliverance. This is another paid preview. And this is a big campaign game. This is also an app-assisted game. And one where I think the app is used to a uh, very uh, good result. It is tracking a lot of different things for you. So you don't have to, you know, write down notes or uh, keep track of a bunch of items or anything like that. It's giving, it's, you know, holding on to all of the things. And it's also keeping trap keeping track of all of the NPCs that are moving around in the world because the this area is sort of persistent and it kind it will um, you know people will be doing things that you can't necessarily see uh, on top of that it has an interesting oh I should say that the the setting of it is a historical setting completely historical and not fantasy based which I think is interesting for this kind of genre I don't see that very often and I appreciate that they were going for that um, I realized after the fact that it was based off of a video game which I've not played but uh, I did enjoy the game I thought that it had a, a cool um, system that really let you optimize uh, the way that you like want to play you know it's the kind of game where the more you do one thing, the better you get at that thing. So if you want to be, you know, a sneaky rogue kind of person, you can absolutely do that. But if you want to talk your way out of things, you can do that too. You have a lot of choice in how you present your character. And I thought that was a really, really nice touch. And the app worked really well with it as well. It uh, presented certain things, you know, it, 
made things easier and it had the, the voiceover like you uh, would want in a game like this, but it also, like I said, kept track of things. So it kept the admin down and I liked that a lot. Uh, but moving up is my number three, Bestiary of Sigillum. And this is a uh, paid preview as well. This is a, uh, we've talked about a really big game. Now to shrink it down, this is a tight two-player battler. It can also be played at a uh, four-player, but uh, what I really liked about it was the two-player mode. You can, it's a very uh, tight head-to-head -head battler, and it really reminded me of MOBAs. Uh, these are the computer games that are like League of Legends or uh, Dota, and it had that same feel without having any of the minions. It's just heroes uh, going after each other. It had special abilities that you can use. It had a cooldown timer, and the cooldown timer was uh, really well integrated into the game. It really made you think about when you're going to use your abilities, and I thought it was a very fun puzzle. It also has a huge variety of characters, and some of them work together a lot better than others. There are characters that uh, really, really require teamwork, whereas other characters can be a little bit more versatile on their own. And the way that they recommend that you play it, you know, once you've played it a few times, is to have like a pick-ban system where you have all the characters laid out and you can ban a few of them before you start picking or while you're picking the, the teammates. So you kind of react to the heroes that your opponent is picking while you're going. And really really uh, solid design, really tight format, and I thought it uh, worked really well. So I think that was a, a great little two-player head-to-head uh, -head game. Uh, but we'll move on to my number two, and uh, this is my last paid preview of uh, the month, which was Tainted Grail, Kings of Ruin. This game is, whoa, this one's good. This is, a, a, I mean, honestly, number two and number one, very close to each other. This was almost not my number one uh, this one is a sprawling fantasy epic with just, and I said it in, in the in the final thoughts of that one, but I'll say it again. It might be the best written game I've ever played, best written board game that I've ever played. Uh, I think that, okay, yeah, sometimes that's not a high bar to cross, but I think that games have been getting a lot better in their narrative design. But this one still, I think that it's above and uh, above the rest of the pack because so much attention has been put into making this world really, really interesting and really something that you want to dive into and really find out more about, but also the characters that you're playing as have their own backstories. And those parts of the stories, uh, the, their personal stories get integrated into the overarching story in a very satisfying way, in a way that really makes you care about the people that you're playing as in, in, in a way that I haven't experienced in almost any other, you know, campaign board game. So I, ooh, that really impressed me. The only reason that it's not number one on my list is that it, the combat in the game, which is not something that you're doing all the time, um, but you're doing it often enough that it can occasionally get a little repetitive uh, when you're when you're doing some of the combat, especially if you're playing this multiplayer, if you're playing with other people and they're doing combat that you're not a part of, uh, especially if they're doing it over and over again. Now. That's not going to happen too often because you're going to be in, in a party most of the time. But when it happens, eh, that, that slows things down a little bit. It takes it detracts from uh, the rest of the story, which is what I really want to be a part of. But there is so much story that even, even if some of the combat, and some of the combat I actually really, really like, you know, when you're a part of it. Um, but regardless of all that, Getting uh, getting through to get through all the, the story that, uh, that the game presents, I think, does a fantastic job. So that was my number two. It's almost my number one. But instead, my number one is Oathsworn. And yes, this has been getting a lot of buzz, and I think it is rightfully deserved. While I don't think that the story is quite as solid as Tainted Grail, it is very good. And it has a very similar branching storyline, the kind of storyline where you can make a lot of your own choices, the choices that you make matter. and the And it's also a game that, says like, yes, you can dither around and do, you know, pretty much everything you want to do during the story mode, but if you make smart decisions, you're going to get rewarded for it. So like that, I also thought it was interesting that the story mode and the combat, uh, the story phase and the combat phase are completely separated, um, though there is a, there are some challenges in the uh, story phase and the combat phase does have some, you know, storytelling in the design of it, uh, they are basically two separate things. And then when you get into the combat, that's a big boss battle. And that's the kind of boss battle that I really like. There are plenty of good choices that you can make. Everyone's got a hand of cards that they can use to activate special abilities. The uh, cards have triggers that uh, make it better to activate at specific times. So there's a lot of strategy 
involved in that, but also you're chucking dice or if you want, drawing cards that you know give you modifiers or are determining whether you're missing or hitting. All, all that kind of stuff, that design, I really, really liked. The combat in that game, I think is fantastic. And I really liked how they handled having AI, or not AI, but like having a team of party members that are not, uh, you know, player controlled necessarily. Um, or I should say that if I'm playing this solo or two players, we always have a party of four and the other non-player characters, they still get to contribute and you do control what they do, but you don't have to use cards for them. Instead, you, they have a much more simpler, much more simple moveset, and, but they're also very powerful. So it makes it so much easier to handle controlling multiple characters while still giving you your character, which you can have complete control over. I thought it was really, really a good way to do it and really made it easier to uh, have the same experience regardless of your player count. So that is my number one oath sworn. That is uh, my top five for the month. And I will pass it on uh, to Kimberly. Kimberly, what'd you play? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks, Shay. Hey, everybody. I am ready to jump into my roundup for September because I played five games for the channel. So I'm just going to get right to it. My fifth favorite game that I played is Unmatched, Houdini versus the Genie. Now, this is a two-player battle game that really eliminates any kind of role to resolve or luck factor. And while I find that super intriguing, I like the complexity of it. I like the planning for it. Generally, my favorite games are not battle to the death kind of games. It's not necessarily a mechanic that strikes me as one that I want to uh, return to super, super fast. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot to like about this. I think the two characters that they add to this unmatched universe are really, really cool, and they're so different. And if you're fortunate enough to get um, Bess with Houdini, like getting an ally, the way that the ally figures work with the hero is really, really cool. I also think the map works incredibly well. I like King Solomon's Mines, and I find the game to be dynamic. And every time I play, I'm trying to figure out how to really maximize that particular character's deck. And I like it. I like the game. I think there's uh, a lot to, to appreciate about both the genie and the way the genie plays and Houdini. So moving on to my number four, this game is called Factions of Soul. And I think that I could get into a space game any day of the week. <laughs> so I really enjoyed Factions of Soul. Particularly, I liked the action choice where players can just scoot around the uh, solar system going from asteroid to planet to planet all over. And every single different planet has a different action that they get to activate and do. And so you're trying to send the folks from one planet, you gather them, and then you send them to um, other locations that you're gathering at a different planet where you're getting those exoplanets. And you want to pair them together and you want to make some set collection. You also want to go to Earth and vote on the, uh, essentially the like big bill that everyone's voting on. Each round lasts about the same amount of time and I think are pretty fulfilling. So I enjoyed Factions of Soul a lot. The next game that I did a run through uh, that I found compelling um, much beyond the original game, it's Materia Prima, the Inquisition expansion. And that offers players cooperative play. And boy, does that make the game. I think it's just so cool. I love the idea of working together and kind of just in it to beat the um, Inquisition. And so every single different scenario that you play in this campaign game gives you a totally different, unique challenge that you and your fellow players have to accomplish together. 
And when you do that and you make it to the end of that particular um, cycle, which ends after four rounds, eight rounds, 12 rounds, 16 or 20, really not four, you can't actually make it in four, um, but you have an easy, medium and hard uh, level of difficulty that you can essentially go for. But once you reach that, and you've got your goal accomplished, you win together, and you can carry over stuff from game to game in the campaign, and it's just fun. It's fun, it's cool. I like the way the Inquisition works. Their whole board and system of operating, where they populate, where they hear noise, where they come after you, and how they fight against you, it works so well, and it, they are a formidable opponent. So uh, a ton of great things to like about Materia Prima with that cooperative play and the campaign that it offers. It makes that game super replayable and it actually allows you to eat through all of the content that the base game offers. So that's my number three. I'm gonna move on to my number two. It is a worker placement game called Age of Comics. Now this game, I think when you first play it, it seems like it's just not fully, um, I don't know, like you, you, it blossoms. Like you don't really see all of the nuances and all of the complexity and all of the interesting features until you play it again and then again. And then you're like, oh, 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 there's so many cool things. Now this uh, game offers players bonuses for being the first player to go to a location with one of their workers. And I like those kinds of worker placement games that give you just a little bit of incentive to go somewhere in front of somebody else, which I, I, I really appreciate. But players are trying to design these comics with artists and with writers, and they have six different genres in which these writers and artists can uh, participate or lend their specialty to. And so then players have this track where they keep all of their different comics that they are promoting and producing, but they got to get out there on the street and they got to get promotions and advertisements. And so there's this separate board where players are kind of running around on the streets, grabbing these bonuses that get them more fans, that get them more money, that get them more at the end victory points. I like how the game is timed and once you get your third, fourth, and fifth comic books, you start gaining more opportunities to get souped up bonuses at the locations you've been going to already. So the game really just develops with you in a way that encourages you to go to specific places because that's where you have a specialty like a color bonus or you might get an extra worker out there or you might be able to get more money if you go to just straight up I want money <laughs> which is always a place to go when you have workers um, but this game is really cool it's fun and then once you get the game then you can start doing ripoffs or knockoffs and that's just yet another layer of complexity to Age of Comics I really enjoyed it. I think it's just a juicy worker placement that I had a fantastic time playing. Which leaves my number one as Lunar Rush. I said earlier, I wanna jump into a space game any day of the week. I think Lunar Rush is kind of something special. This really rises to the top, you know, head and shoulders above all of my other plays for this month, mostly because I had a fantastically fun time playing it. Like I had fun while I was learning it, I had fun playing it, I had fun playing it again and again, I had fun incorporating all of the super cool advanced plays and ways that you can make the game a little bit more complex and interesting, and I think that it's just cool. So the very first phase of, of every round is bidding to see who gets to go first. And that like is like, I know a common thing that people do in games, but it's really important here. And when you play your big card, you have to pay that many victory points no matter what. So it definitely makes you think really hard about how, how, how much do you want first place or second place or third place in turn initiative? Like, where do you want to go? Do you have to go first? Well, you better play something, but know what your opponent has played and what's out there because you only have one, two, three, four, or five, and the previous bid card stays out from the, from the round before. So there's this bid phase. Then you go to, I want to load up and pick ships. And you have to go, you have to ship things up from Earth to the moon or from the moon with moon, lunar objects and, and, and minerals and materials back down to the Earth to sell. And that's where you bank your victory points. So there's this fantastic feature of 
slow, medium, and fast ships going up and slow, medium, fast ships coming down. And what that means is it takes a certain number of rounds for you to get stuff up to the moon and stuff back down. And when you get to the moon, you get to do all this worker placement stuff. And yeah, if you've probably noticed by now, the mechanic that definitely keeps coming up for me that I find really fulfilling as a player is worker placement. I like it. I like it. It makes sense to me. I feel like I'm actually doing something and I'm generating things and I'm building up. And in Lunar Rush, not only do you place out your workers, you get to actually upgrade your modules and upgrade the cool stuff that you send your workers to do. So there's just so much stuff to like about this, but it's not overwhelming. It's just perfectly themed. It's the perfect length. I think it's just a, a, a knock out of the park kind of game. I like it. I like it a lot. It was my number one for September. And I was super, super happy to share those games and my favorites with you in this roundup. So I'm going to send it back to Richard. Uh, thanks for watching, folks. See you next time. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks, Shay and Kimberly. Those are fantastic. I am very jealous. Several of those games I wish I had been covering. I mean, when I actually watched Shay's run-through of Oathsworn, I was so intrigued by it, I actually had to end up doing the final thoughts with him because I had more questions. And I don't know, Kimberly's number one and number two, Age of Comics and this Lunar Rush, they both seem phenomenal. Oh my gosh. But anyway, folks, uh, that's just the start because there is plenty more to talk about for this month. Uh, For starters, we had a very unusual run-through from Ryan, uh, who basically covered Cookie Run Kingdom. Which, uh, normally, Ryan does how-to-play videos. You know, and he does an amazing job. As far as I'm concerned, uh, for my taste, he does the best job in the industry. But this one, the publisher, wanted him to do an actual run-through. And so, he did a run-through that's unlike anything else I've ever seen in board game media. Uh, with all of his really cool animated graphics and just like a very, very hyper-fast, just-the-facts-ma'am kind of thing that I think a lot of people really enjoyed for this charming, cute little... Oh, uh, worker placement game. Very uh, light, family-friendly sort of thing. Based on a video game, I believe. But anyway, that's it for the contributors. Like I said, Amy and Maggie will be back next month, as will Ruel. And uh, in the meantime, I've got... 13 more games to talk about, folks. A whole bunch of good stuff. And as said before, this is a countdown, starting with my least favorite, ending with my most favorite. So let's get to it. Starting with... Mine Your Business, which is a uh, neat little game uh, that's on Kickstarter right now. This was a, a paid Kickstarter preview I did. And um, what it reminds me of most is those old classic 4x4 slider puzzles where you're trying to you know move the, the empty piece around to make a particular pattern. In this game, well, it's interesting. You can actually play several different ways. You can play it as a competitive game where both players are trying to manipulate the mind by swapping cards, moving cards around, and trying to create um, veins of ore, whether it's gold or coal or gems. And um, along the while they're doing that, they every player has a little what do you call it? Um, a mining cart that moves around the outside board, and you're trying to get your veins to be set up at the moment your mining cart gets to the right place, while dealing with the fact that your opponent is occasionally changing the mine for their own use. And so it's really clever. But I found it even more compelling as a co-op slash solo game because there's a few different modes you can play, or where there's events that happen. Uh, but the coolest one was these uh, cool little goblins, the goblin goblins, who run around actually trying to eat the all the the veins. 
of ore that are in the mine and will even eat you. And so you're trying to capture them. And uh, actually, uh, to cover the full breadth of this game, uh, in my run-through, I did I showed the competitive and in the extended, I showed the co-op because there's so much variety in this charming little game. Now, I will say it is a very lightweight game. This is definitely a family-friendly game along the lines of uh, you know some of the other games we've talked about today, like Cookie Run. And if you are looking for a fun, fast, nice, smooth, puzzly little game, you might want to check out number 13. A little light for me and Jen, but still very charming. <clears throat> Mind your business. Then we move on to number 12, 14 Frantic Minutes, which is a real-time game that you can play solo or cooperative. And this is definitely a truth in advertising type situation because you have exactly 14 minutes to crack the code or override uh, you know, the circuitry of seven security doors. And you have to get through these doors to escape the lab of a mad scientist. And so really, you need to get through every door in about two minutes. And if you can't stay ahead of the scientist, you will eventually get caught and, um, well, bad things happen. You will lose. So what you're doing is, um, as the timer counts down, you are frantically trying to do polyomino tiling to make completed circuits to override the door security. And you just do this round after round, door after door. Uh, and every time you get to a new door, you get a new combination of circuit board layout and um, goals of what you have to actually connect your little override device to. And you reset your tiles, and you start laying tile as fast as you can. I found the game actually, for us, works best as a solo game. Because I think the more players you get, the harder it's going to be. Because this is an incredibly tension-filled um, game where you know the timer is always ticking. And so you can really start panicking. And when you're playing by yourself, hey, I'm responsible for all the tiles. But when I'm playing with other people, I'm responsible for a half of the tiles or maybe a third of the tiles. And you really have to communicate. You have to rely on other players. Jen and I found this is probably one of the most challenging tile-laying puzzle games we have ever played in our life. In fact, if you watch my run-through, I literally had a meltdown while filming because it gets so tricky. But if you are looking for an incredibly... Um, you know, tension, tension-filled, uh, brain burgery, brain-burning tile layer. This is definitely one to check out. What would bring it up for me if you is if the game actually had a mode that was turn the timer off for a little bit because I think I need to spend a little bit more time with um, without the timer trying to master the intricacies of number twelve. 14 frantic minutes. Uh, but but uh, really, if you love uh, real time, definitely give it a, a try, folks, when the uh, run-through goes up. Okay, next up, we have got Terraforming Mars, the dice game, which, of course, is probably the biggest game of... Well, no, actually, no. Uh, the second biggest game of the month, the biggest one, of course, was uh, Tainted Grail, which Shay mentioned earlier. But um, Terraforming Mars, the dice game, is a pretty big deal, too. And Jen and I got to play it. I got to play it solo. And um, it's a great game. It really is a wonderful little marvel of trying to take all of the big, broad, expansive gameplay of the original Terraforming Mars and streamlining it, tightening it down into a fast-playing gateway-style game. Or maybe a gateway plus. I wouldn't say this is basically... Um, you know, the, the first game you should use to introduce uh, players to modern board gaming, but it's a great follow-up if you found people really enjoyed, say, a normal gateway like Ticket to Ride. This is a great gateway plus. Although, if you have people in your life who just love Mars and love everything about Mars, and actually, I think their passion for it would let them, uh, you know, come in and have a great time too. It uh, does all the same stuff you need to do in Terraforming Mars. You need to uh, get the planet filled up with oceans. You need to raise the temperature. You need to raise the oxygen content. You've always got a bunch of cards, and you're trying to get these played that represent different, um, you know, milestones in the development of the planet. And uh, you know, the game is all about managing your resources uh, to be able to get the right cards into play so that you unlock ongoing special powers that will let you get more cards into play and you just start kind of cascading and get more and more powerful as the planet gets more and more terraformed while along the way of course you're trying to fulfill milestones and earn awards and all the rest of it. The main thing is Everything is driven by dice. So if on a turn you're not playing cards to build up your infrastructure, then you're probably doing an income phase where your existing cards say, hey, grab all of these dice, roll them, and then you find out what resources you have to keep playing. And at the same time, if you have any cards you don't like, you can dump them and replace them with new ones. The flow of this game is fantastic in some ways. I mean, 
it almost improves on t- the original Terraforming Mars in the overall structure of the way the game works. I was very, very impressed by it. Again, it is a bit on the light side, uh, you know, much like uh, Cookie Run or um, you know the other ones we talked about today, which is what kept it at the lower end. For me, um, you know, Terraforming Mars is maybe just a bit too big and a bit too long. Terraforming Mars, the dice game, is wonderful. I would totally play this with my niece and nephew, um, you know, as a great gateway plus game. And uh, but for me, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition is just the sweet spot, right in between the two extremes. But if you love Terraforming Mars and you have people who love uh, Mars, or if you love Terraforming Mars but you want to be able to play it in like half an hour, then Terraforming Mars, the dice game, is something you probably want to check out. Okay, and that was number 11. Then let's move on to number 10 on my list, Dulce, which is a very nice little uh, game. It uses the card play mechanism that I don't think has an official term yet. And it's kind of driving me nuts. I'm really hoping, uh, maybe somebody down in the comments could, you know, maybe I've missed it, but I like to call it kind of card patchwork or, or maybe card quilting because basically over the course of this game, every turn you're going to draw a card and you do one of three things with it. You put it into play so it represents a cafe that wants to serve all kinds of delicious sweets that will get you points if you can get them the right ingredients. Or or you place it on your board, kind of melding and overlaying existing cards. And when you play it on the board, you uh, it then represents uh, you know fields for cacao and um, you know peanuts and all the stuff that will go into your sweet confections, coffee beans and whatnot. And so you play it on your main board and fill it up. But the trick is, when you do that, you want to cover up existing fields of the same type because then you get a bonus. So you'll have more stuff to use later on. And the other tricky thing is sometimes when you put a card out to represent a new field because I really need coffee beans and I'm not growing any. Okay, this is the perfect one to place. You might override some of your existing um, you know, crops that you haven't harvested yet. And you might think, oh no, I throw them away. But one of the most brilliant things about this game is whenever you overpay for something or you have to get rid of excess beans that you didn't find a way to use, you don't throw them away. You feed them to the chicken, which my wife loved. We're both uh, you know, uh, hardcore chicken lovers. We have a lot of chickens. And so that was so charming. The more you feed your chicken, it's basically a way to convert excess resources you didn't have a good use for into wilds that you can use wherever you want. This game is sharp. It's fast, it's charming, and uh, yeah, we really enjoyed it quite a bit. In any other month, I think it would have rated much higher on my list because, you know, multi-use cards, I love that. The card quilting, you know, trying to, you know, patch them all together and stack them on top of each other is really, really great. Oh, and then also, it's a wonderful engine builder too, because um, you want to set up your shops so that the um, shops that require really high-value beans, they produce first because they will have leftovers that you can then ship off to other shops. So when you actually do production, you can create like a, a, a production chain between your shops as you, um, you use more and more of your high-quality stuff, goes to medium-quality, goes to low-quality, and then the rest, well, if you can't use anywhere else, you can always feed it to the chickens. Dulce is wonderfully charming, fun, fast little game. Uh, and uh, we really enjoyed it quite a bit when we did our Rotto Relax and uh, sat down and played it. Incredibly relaxing game, number 10 of the month, Dulce. Okay, now let's move on to number 9, Roan Invasion. Now this was a, another uh, paid Kickstarter preview I did for a game that you know is a sequel to a game that I've known about for a while, but I've never really been that into. Uh, because the original Roan is a head-to-head, you know, players trying to beat each other up in a post-apocalyptic future. Although I think I said World War II in the video. I meant to say World War III, post-World War III. What got me excited, though, about Roan Invasion, which I did a paid preview for... Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention uh, Terraforming Mars, Dice Game, and... Oh, what was the other one? 14 Frantic Minutes and Mind Your Business. Those were also paid Kickstarter uh, previews. Remember, folks, this is the big month for crowdfunding games. Oh my gosh, so many crowdfunding games in the month of September. I think they're going to slow down for the rest of the year, but... Whew. Okay, anyway, though. What makes Roan Invasion interesting is you can still play it as a head-to-head players trying to beat each other with reduced or remaining resources of the Earth. Or you can play cooperatively when rogue AI from the planet Mars invades and tries to destroy everybody. And that's when the game really comes to life. Because the co-op mode, pretty much the entire game works simultaneously. This is true for the uh, competitive game as well. So, a lot of this is about, okay, I've got my cards, I've got my resources, I'm trying to play, recruit... uh, 
um, agents to help fight off the alien invasion. You've got yours, and often we can be working simultaneously, but still collaborating. Say, okay, well, if you... If you've got, if you use your sniper rifle to take out that first bad guy, then I'll be able to clear the second one. But I mean, otherwise, I'm gonna have a really hard time getting past this first one. And so, trying to work all that out is great. The co-op structure of this game is phenomenal, and it's amazing because often uh, publishers will try to turn an existing competitive game into a co-op game, and it doesn't work very well. It worked fantastically here. Jen and I really enjoyed it, and it's hard to find a co-op game that Jen enjoys as much as me. And Roan Invasion delivered. But that's not all, folks. I'm kind of bearing the lead. The other incredibly cool thing about this game is the resources you need to gather, mana, if you will, thinking in Magic the Gathering terms, comes from dice. And these are the coolest dice ever because they are customizable dice where you literally take a real screwdriver, unscrew um, colored pips, and screw other colored pips in so you can customize your dice to fit your deck. So this is a dice builder um, crossed with a deck builder. You can play competitively. You can play cooperatively. It's got campaign play. It's really impressive. Really enjoyed our time with number nine of the month, Roan Invasion. But that's not all, folks. There's plenty more to talk about. And so let's move on to number eight of the month, Marrakesh, which is probably one of my most anticipated games of the year. I've been so excited for this for so long because it's from my favorite designer of all time, Stefan Feld. And for the last couple of years, Stefan Feld has mostly been kind of doing revisits of some of his classics and, you know, doing like spinoffs of games and whatnot. So it's been a while since we've had a completely new game. Although, to me, this feels kind of like a mishmash of two of his greats of all time, Trajan and uh, Amerigo. Because he takes the big board where you've got a million different uh, plates you're trying to spin of Trajan, but gets rid of the Moncala and replaces it with a cube tower, which he used to such great effect in Amerigo. So, I was very excited to give this a go. And I'll say right now, folks, this is probably my wife's number one or number two game of the month. It was my number eight, because as brilliant as it is, and it works fantastically, and you'll be able to see my run-through very very soon. It should be going up in early October. I'll talk about this more in the run, in the final thoughts there. As much as I loved it, it has all the great Feld magic that I really enjoy. There are a couple of issues with it that made me feel like, boy, I really wish I was playing this as a higher player count than two. And I never feel that way with the Stefan Feld game. But this time, um, it's great. Jen loves it. I liked it as a two-player game. I loved it as a higher player count game. But um, because the two-player just kind of missed the mark for me a little bit, uh, it comes in much lower than a normal uh, Feld game. But I, I cannot stress enough just how absolutely fantastic it is. And especially because we had a chance to play as a three-player game. Oh, man. Uh, it, it is wonderful. I can see why some other channels have said, hey, this is now my favorite Feld game of all time. Uh, Paul Grogan of Gaming Rules, who I very highly respect, and who's probably like the number two biggest Feld fanboy in board game media after me. It, it, it has pumped up to his number one Feld of all time. I think it's great. as a It's an amazing game at higher play, out at a two-player game. It's good. Um, and it, that's why it comes in at number eight, Marrakesh. Okay, then let's move on to number seven, Fate Forge Chronicles of Khan, which was another paid Kickstarter preview for a wonderful cooperative fantasy adventure game. Uh, this is one of those games, uh, you know, Shay mentioned a couple of them earlier, like uh, Oathsworn and Tainted Grail, that mixes a big, broad narrative adventure that you play through over many, many sessions as you go through a campaign and level your characters up. But then um, there's that, and then there's also combat! Fight, 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 fight. And Fate Forge does a lot of stuff very differently than pretty much all other games in this genre. One, the biggest one probably is, a lot of times when you get these sorts of games, hey, yeah, you spend probably maybe 10% of your time with the story and leveling up your characters and whatnot, you know, even less, like Gloomhaven, you spent maybe, what, 2% of the entire gameplay or 1% of the experience not in combat and the rest of the time is combat. Fate Forge, the combat is incredibly fast, incredibly fluid, and really very, very cinematic uh, when it boils right down to it. the uh, Basically, it's driven by dice, and at the beginning of every round, everybody rolls their four dice, and as you get more dice, you can choose which ones you're going to roll. They have their, um, they have different faces on them that will give you different ranged attacks, melee attacks, moving, uh, utility actions, and all sorts of stuff. But... You then, before um, you actually run out and use your dice to move around, you have to plan how to use those dice. And one of the things I love about this game is it's a limited communication game. 
I love that. It's one of the things that puts Gloomhaven in my top 10 of all time, and I love it here. The fact that we can have a general purpose plan about what we want to do, but what the dice actually give us sometimes can make us have to switch things up on the fly. And hey, why aren't you sticking with the plan? Because I had this rain shot. Um, but the still, even with that, the collaboration that can take place between players in this, basically, I guess you could say, dice worker placement game is fantastic because there's everything is fast. And uh, when I was talking earlier about the ratio of, of combat gameplay to other adventure stuff. The interesting thing about this game is when you run into a uh, fight with whatever bandits or monsters or whatever it might be, it takes you a couple of minutes to set the board up, and you're going to be done with that fight in probably less than a half an hour. So in a regular big bombastic fantasy adventure cooperative game, when you sit down for a session, you'll maybe have one big epic battle and a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of adventure. Here, you'll have a lot of adventure, leveling up your character, purchasing stuff, making decisions that change the world and how the world feels about you. And then you'll also have a bunch of combat, but your combat will be in 20 or 30 minute things. So they'll feel more like an action scene in a movie. Uh, if you can imagine that, because you're in, you're out, and then you're back to more storytelling. So in a session of this, in the same time in Gloomhaven, I'd get to play one combat mission, you might play three or four in radically different places with different objectives and all that. And I love it. I love how fast this game is. The sense of velocity is unlike anything else in this genre. And it re and then the, the cinematic quality, because we are super powerful characters compared to the bad guys. It's a war of attrition because you're going to play through three or four fights. Um, the thing is, you, the damage you take doesn't go away between fights. So when you're down, if you took damage in a fight, that's going to slow you down for a future fight and maybe cause more problems. Very, very impressed with this game. Really enjoyed it quite a bit, as did Jen. It's basically a sequel to an earlier game called Vengeance, if you're familiar with that. Uses the same uh, core gameplay to great effect, and it comes in at number seven of the month. Fate Forge Chronicles of Khan. All right, then let's go on to number six. Dice Realms the solo and co-op variant. And now, Dice Realms, which is a, uh, a dice-building game, you know, uh, basically, it's basically kind of Dominion turned into a dice game when it boils right down to it. Dominion, the card game, which is a deck builder. Here, you're building uh, dice. You're getting more and more dice. You're snapping different faces on. Every time you play, you have a different combination of types of die uh, faces you can upgrade your die with. You have you know, um, a fate die that will hit you every once in a while. You're rolling your dice, re-rolling some Yahtzee style to harvest coins, uh, to harvest upgrades. You can keep upgrading your dice and buy victory points and all the rest of it. It's kind of... If I were to sum up Dice Realms, it is Dominion, the deck builder, crossed with uh, Race for the Galaxy, also from the same designer as this, Tom Lehman, with the way that the overall structure of the game works, because it's a race to score lots of points, crossed with Dice, because you're using Dice instead of cards. I already love the base game, but then when I found out that Tom Lehman had come up with official cooperative and solo rules that you can go on Board Game Geek and download right now, I knew I had to try them. And so, uh, this month in my Rotto Recluse, which is a... Uh, a special show I do for backers of, of Rotto Runs Through. You know, whether you're a member on YouTube or if you back me on Patreon, every month you see a new solo run through I did. And this month, my solo run through was Dice Realms. I played it solo, and oh my gosh, it's great. I had such a fantastic time. I cannot wait to try the co op variant with Jen when she gets back because I think it's more fun than the original competitive game. If for no other reason, because, you know, the original game had a lot of attack elements where players could beat each other up much like the original Dominion, and Jen and I ignore all those. But now, when you play solo or co-op, you end up creating a uh, an invader die that is full to the brim of nothing but attacks. So suddenly, we're getting to see a whole other side of the game that we as Care Bear players never got to experience. And I love it. It's smooth, it's uh, elegant, it's got all the hidden depth of the original game. But hey, you can have uh, fun fighting an external force or even working with somebody, which is why I was so pleased with number six of of the month, Dice Realms, the solo slash co-op variant. Yeehaw! Okay, now let's go on to number five of the month, Sabika. Now, this is a big, huge, this is, I think this is the heaviest game that we played this month. And that should come as no surprise because it is uh, the, the follow-up to last year's Batoku. Sorry, Batoku and Sabika designer, I do not remember your name. Jermaine, I believe. I want to say your first name is Jermaine, if I recall correctly. 
I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I don't remember your last name. Jermaine Romaine, I believe. Anyway, sorry. Jermaine, if that is in fact your name, I should have looked it up before I started filming. Wow. Oh my gosh. Batoku last year was fantastic. I know I made a lot of people's top tens of the year. Uh, just missed mine. Sabika, I think very, very, very likely will make my top ten for this year because it's even better than Batoku. This is a game about players working competitively to contribute the most to the building of the Alhambra in Spain. It's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, uh, gathering the resources you need to construct the uh, the main portions of the Alhambra or different, um, you know, uh, elements that are scattered all around the compound. But uh, it's interesting. This game, uh, like you know, uh, basically pitches itself as a, co- a fusion, a Euro crunchy uh, engine building fusion of architecture and poetry. Because one of the things that the Alhambra is uh, well known for is it is arguably the greatest um, uh, repository of poetry carved into walls in the world. Uh, because And we're spending as much time trying to build the walls as we are trying to carve them with wonderful poetry. And... Um, all of this is driven by a triple-nested rondelle. Rondelles are one of my favorite mechanisms of all time. So a rondelle within a rondelle within a rondelle? Oh, yes, please. Especially because each rondelle has different workers. Each rondelle gives you access to different types of things, whether it's the outer one that's for the builders, the middle one for the merchants, and the inner one for the poets. And every round, you have to trigger all of the rondelles. And uh, you can do it in whatever order you want. And it's a big game full of, oh, well, if I do that first, then I'll be I'll be able to beat you to that particular poem I want, but I don't have the resources, so I do the other one first. But you're blocking the space I need to move on the outer one, which means I'll have to pay more, or do I wait? Do I wait for you to get out of the way so that I can get in cheaply? It's a tight, tight space we're maneuvering in. And also, another thing I often love when games do this, tight, tight resource restrictions. How much you can actually carry. You have four little storehouses, or you can upgrade them. Um, the game is phenomenal. I absolutely adore it. Um, Easily in my wife's top five games of the year. It'll probably make my top ten. And it really cements Jermaine, if that is in fact your name, as a designer to watch moving forward. Sabika was fantastic. The only reason it didn't come into like my number two or my number three is I had one problem with it. The beautiful, beautiful font that they use to um, write all of the... uh, or all the poem cards, basically, that tell you, hey, here's what the special power of this is. It's beautiful. I'm sure it's inspired by the real font of the Alhambra. It is very difficult to read. Jen and I playing this had to bust out our reading glasses. And it's a huge board, and yet, and it's tiny cards. It's worth it. Every card does have iconographic references to what the cards do. So after a while, you don't need to read the text. But I, it, it was kind of frustrating for me and Jen having a heart. What does that say? What does that say? Oh, no, that's the one I wanted. I forgot because I couldn't read it from the other side of the room. A minor, minor production issue. And again, the text looks beautiful. Just a little hard to read. Kept this um, from ranking even higher this month. But that's number three, Sabika. Let's go on to number two. Uh, paid preview for... Um, oh, what is it? Uh, Sagrada Artisans. Which is fantastic. I love legacy games. I love roll and rights. And I love Sagrada. Those are three great tastes that taste great together, and Sagrada Artisan brings them all into one handy-dandy package. Sagrada, if you don't know, uh, is an insanely popular dice drafting game where every round players draft beautiful, colorful little dice and um, use them to build the stained glass windows of Sagrada Familia. And uh, it's been a great game. It's got lots of expansions, wonderfully Light enough that you could almost use it as a gateway, but really crunchy and um, challenging to play, too. Kind of like just about a perfect gateway plus game for me and Jen. Uh, the interesting thing about Sagrada Artisans, it still has the dice, but we're not, uh, and we're still drafting those dice. But once we get the dice we want, we don't put the dice on our stained glass windows. We grab colorful pencils and we draw in, we color in. This is basically um, a coloring book for board game geeks, and I love it. Jen, when she was waiting for me to take my turn, she would often be, um, you know, painting the outside stained glass windows, which are just there for fun. Uh, and you know, it, it has such a wonderful tactile feel because of that. But it also has the incredibly crunchy, puzzly Sagrada gameplay and. And it does a lot of interesting stuff that you could never do in regular Sagrada. But now that Sagrada, uh, in Artisans, you're using pencils and you're rolling and writing rather than just drafting dice and putting them on a piece of paper, There, I, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, there's a 
10 or so, if I recall correctly, windows you will play through to play through the campaign. And as the game goes on, they start out looking like regular Sagrada windows, but by the end, you are doing things that are unthinkable, that are so far outside the box and amazingly creative that is made possible because of the uh, roll and write nature of it, and I absolutely loved it. And the other beautiful thing, too, is people always worry about this with legacy games. This is a legacy game that once you finish the campaign and you've unlocked all the stuff, you can keep playing because in addition to these wonderful player boards or player books that it comes with, it also comes with like a regular roll and write uh, pads of paper that lets you go back and revisit all of those windows you unlocked throughout the game and using all the cool bonuses you unlock throughout the game and combining things. So it's got um, replay value for days. It is a legacy roll and write using uh, Sagrada gameplay. No surprise, it comes in very, very high as number four of the month. Sagrada Artisans. But there's even better stuff, folks. Let's talk about number three, Frozen Frontiers. This is another paid Kickstarter preview that will be going live next week, I believe, actually. So you'll see my run-through for it very quickly. And this is from the developers of Cosmodrome. And my gosh, these developers are amazing. Uh, Aquatica, maybe you've heard of it. Smartphone Inc. and Mobile Markets. Maybe people have seen Skytopia, but it was amazing, too. They are quickly developing themselves as one of the hottest design groups out there. They just produce fantastic design after design after design, and this is their biggest and best yet. It is all about going to a faraway exoplanet on the other side of a wormhole and harvesting all the resources we can out of it and sending it back home because it's a dark future where we desperately... Humanity's last hope is... What is the planet? I believe the planet's name is Janus. So we're, we've come here. We're building um, cities. We're building factories. We are, um, you know harvesting resources, and we're trying to score lots of points. Standard stuff. But what makes this game so... Sp- There's a lot of things that makes this game special. But at its heart, um, using multi-use cards as a driver that kind of are reminiscent to Martin Wallace's Great Great uh, Brass, or nowadays Brass Lancashire, or um, Brass Birmingham, uh, for people who know the original, or the, the newer versions instead of Brass. Using a card system kind of similar to Brass, uh, where the cards tell you what you can build, where you can build, but most importantly, if you can build a, uh, the thing that the card says in the place it says, you don't have to, but if you do, you unlock all kinds of cool bonuses. Most of the time, you are traveling around this planet to the uh, different cities, building buildings there. But sometimes you just can't build a building. You don't have the resources to build it, or you uh, don't uh, you don't have the right card to build where you need to build what you need to build. So instead, on those turns, you're traveling around to the different cities and activating the buildings that have already been built by you and by your opponents. And so this is a game chock full of players creating opportunities for each other. Because the more buildings you build in a city, the more valuable that city is. Did I mention there's an area control element, an area majority? Because at the end of the game, the more stuff has been built in a city, the more points it's worth if you control it. And the more of that stuff is yours, uh, the more likely you are to control it instead of me. But I am still incentivized to come to the city that everybody kind of thinks of as yours. Because if it's big, that means if I activate it, I get all kinds of stuff. I get tons and tons and tons of resources. But to really leverage that city, I make it even more valuable. The more a city is visited, the more points it's worth at the end of the game. So, if you can make a really popular city that everybody loves, uh, it's just getting more and more valuable for you at the end of the game. But everybody can see that. And so everybody decides, oh well, we can't just let you have it for nothing. we got to rush over and build stuff in that city ourselves. Or um, install AI to run all the machines and whatnot. That's another way you can extend your area control. So it's a very interesting area control game, crossed with a wonderful multi-use card system, and the heart of everything about this game is that you are constantly paying very close attention to what other players are doing, because players, and there's other ways, there's the way transit works, creates opportunities for each other as you fly around from city to city, it's fantastic. No surprise, from the uh, creative minds of Cosmodrome, and it comes in at number three of the month, and again, you'll see my uh, paid preview for it next week, I think, if I recall correctly. Frozen Frontier. Oh, but we're not done yet, folks. Two more games. Oh my gosh, this was an amazing month. Um, and uh, next up, we have got Teletum. Or Teletum? Teletum. I think that is how you pronounce the latest design collaboration from one of the greatest design duos of all time, um, Tassini and Luciani. You know, the creative minds that when they worked together in the past, they brought us Zulk in the Mayan calendar. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've worked together very well. Uh, Council of Four. I'm trying to think of their other big one they did together. But they also, uh, between the two of them, 
Jeez. Oh, uh, Voyages of Marco Polo, another one they worked on together. But even when they're not working together, they are both, they're two of the best designers working today. And when they get together, they create something very special. And Telatum is very, very special. It is a dice drafting game. Um, and really, to capture the feel of this game, I have to kind of draw parallels to, um, what do you call it? Uh, Gone Shown Clever. Which is a, a much lighter... I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a big, heavy, crunchy game. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of plates you're spinning as you are, you know, um, Renaissance-era merchants traveling all around Europe, um, creating trade houses, contributing to the construction of cathedrals, buying low, selling high, um, you know, getting the... Uh, the favor of nobles all over the place. All the kind of stuff you expect in one of these sorts of very uh, dry, dusty, Renaissance-era Euros. Which are my jam. I love it. But the whole thing is driven by a dice drafting system. Where at the beginning of a round, you roll a bunch of dice. You put them around this circular thing. And uh, they go into buckets based on the numbers you rolled. And what happens is, when you take a die, you get a number of resources matching the color of the die equal to the value. So if you grab a pink four, that means you grab four food. If you grab a, uh, a gray four, that means you grab four stone. Right. So you need these resources to do all the stuff you're doing. But also, wherever you grab that die from, if you're the first to go to that particular wedge of the circle, there's a bonus tile you can grab. And that's great because this game, your cup overfloweth with bonus tiles. First to a city, grab a bonus tile. First to grab dice out of a wedge, grab a bonus tile. There are bonus tiles left, right, and center. They're just constantly giving them to you. And that's where the Gone Shown Clever feel comes in, folks. Because um, if you get the right uh, combination of bonus tiles, you can unleash them in a big smorgasbord of super powerful combo-laden turns that just feel so satisfied, that make you feel so smart, so clever, in much the same way that you get when you play Gone Shown Clever and you have just like a big explosion of, well, this begets this, begets that, begets the other thing, begot that one, and it's just wonderful and you get to do it over and over and over again with all these bonuses. Um, but we're not done because when you draft those um, dice, you get the resources based on the number and the color. You get the bonus tile if one's there. And you also get your core action, whether it's curry favor with the royalty, travel around the board, build things, engage in trade, complete contracts, whatever it is. So this is a multi-use dice drafting game where every die has two or three considerations that goes into helping you choose which die should I grab. And it is wonderfully compelling. It never gets old. And it's, it's just so great. That combined... With the really nice, gone shown, clever nature of uh, you know the big explosion of moves is great. I, I think it's fantastic. I think this is another top ten of the year candidate. Now I think a lot of I've seen some channels that have covered it have been like, oh, it's just kind of so so. And I think that's because, as cool as everything I just said is, it is driving a more traditional Euro experience. I mean, another thing I could probably draw parallels to would be turn and taxes, if you remember that old classic. Because a big part of the game is just traveling around the map and um, visiting cities. And, you know, that stuff is, uh, is well done. It's satisfying, but there's nothing particularly cool or sexy about it. Where the cool, sexy stuff is where the dice are and the combo chains. And I, I had a great time. Oh, 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 and one other thing. I mentioned this in a uh, an earlier one on the list. Uh, oh, uh, Sabika. Where you have really tight, restricted storage. And in Sabika, you can invest and get more storage. Not so in Tilatum. You only ever have four slots you can put those tiles in. Remember, you're drowning in these tiles. It's The game is just overloading you with them. So a big challenge with this game is making sure that you can keep those tiles coming in and getting used without backing things up. So, a lot of fun logistical puzzly stuff in number two of the month, uh, Tilatum. Alrighty, but as promised in last month's roundup, folks, I've got one more to talk about. It's my number one game of the month. It is Stars of Akarios. Now, last month I actually played it, and but I'd only played it as a solo game, and I didn't. I I said, oh, what I really liked about it. You can go check out last month's roundup. I, I talked quite a bit about how this is basically Gloomhaven in space mixed with, um, you know, the old X-wing miniatures game, and oddly, uh, Seventh Continent, uh, because you're spending a. a, a, a you're, you're the, you spend most of your time doing space dogfighting combat. You spend 
a bit less time, but still a lot of time exploring alien worlds and solving mysteries. And then you've also got though uh, a, a you know a meta game where you're almost kind of in a Battlestar Galactica, the TV show situation, not the board game, where you are traveling the galaxy, you know, on a mission. Or um, you know, Star Blazers, uh, Battleship Yamoto. It could be Battleship Yamoto meets uh, meets um, Gloomhaven meets Seventh Continent. That's cool. I love this game. This is my odds-on favorite for best game of the year, quite frankly, that I've played. Because while none of those three modes are perfect, they all do what they need to do well enough that... The, the this game is greater than the sum of its parts. Yes, there are better combat games out there. Yes, there are better explore games out there. Yes, there are better metagame campaign games out there. But the way this game brings all three of those elements together and interweaves, really more than anything else, your character's stress levels. Because your stress in one mode can directly affect your stress in another mode. And if you just had a really bad away mission on a planet and you're still feeling stressed, but then you get attacked and you've got to get in your spaceship whether you like it or not, you are going to suffer the effects of that stress, and I love it. Uh, So anyway, I I talked about all this last month. I finally got a chance to sit down and play it with Jen, because another thing that I was super excited about is, uh, what else did I mention earlier? Oh, um, Roan Invasion. This is a cooperative game where you can play your turns simultaneously. It doesn't have to be burned. Oh, I'll take a turn, then you take a turn, then you take a turn, then I take a turn. It's just very smooth, fast playing, and I really wanted to experience that with Jen. I experienced it. It's every bit as good as I thought it would be. It's great. I had a wonderful time playing with Jen. And Jen said, boy, I think I would really like this game a lot if it weren't for my brain. Because there's one thing that did not occur to me that was real over a problem for Jen. And it would be probably a, an issue for other players too. If you're the type of player, when you play a polyomino, a Tetris tile layer, if you're the type of player who, you know, it's your turn and you're trying to, hey, what tile do I grab and where am I going to put it on my board? You have to grab every tile and rotate them around and see what will fit and all that because your brain just struggles a little bit with being able to visualize what a given, um, you know, pattern looks like upside down or rotated 30 degrees or something like that, my wife has that problem. She cannot use a vehicle's GPS when it's in overhead mode and the top of the screen is always north. It just, you know, and and she's going south. She, uh, we talked about this the other day, had a really hard time back in the 80s playing asteroids because once your ship was facing down, it's like, oh, the controls are reversed and I don't know what to do. So if you're a type of person who struggles with that, you're going to struggle with Arcarios and Jen did because as your ships are flying around dogfighting and it's awesome and you're activating your cool special maneuvers that say, hey, go forward two and then bank left and then to a 180 degree turnaround and then fire, right? That's a cool maneuver you could pull off. For Jen, she loved the idea of it, but it was so difficult for her. She spent so much time, okay, let me grab this and put this on the board and rotate it and see where am I actually going to end up when I do this maneuver? And so she struggled with that. Uh, And I don't struggle with that. I I I am very. I, I actually prefer a GPS when it's set to straight north mode um, because I can do the rotations in my head. And Jen couldn't. So as much as I love this game, it broke my heart. We're talking about maybe getting a Lazy Susan. Because if um, we put the entire board on a thing that whenever Jen is thinking about what she wants to do, we just rotate the entire board so it's aligned with her ship. And she knows exactly, oh yeah, it's like I'm using my GPS. Uh, My ship is moving away from me. I know what's going to happen if I go left or right. That might solve it for her. Um, I'll report back on that in the future. But for now, Stars of Akarios, I still think is amazing. Like I said last month, I think it's an incredible two-player cooperative game as well. But it does have this one Achilles heel that I did not anticipate. Um, So, uh, we'll see what the future holds for me and my number one of the month, Stars of Akarios. And, phew, like I said, folks, that was a lot. A lot, a lot. And I want to say uh, thank you to uh, all the people who made all that possible. You know, I'm saying thanks to Shay. I'm saying thanks to Kimberly. Um, Ryan, uh, you know, even though you didn't see him this month, you'll see him next month. Uh, Amy and Maggie and Ruel will be back. They're doing stuff. Also, huge thanks to Paulo for keeping us all on the straight and narrow and catching all of our goofs. Uh, thanks to my channel manager, who would prefer to remain nameless. Thanks to everybody. Also, of course, thanks to sponsor of the show, Fun Again Games, um, always for helping keep us going. But I've got one more thanks to shout out, folks. And they're flying by right there at a million miles an hour. It's all the people who um, help keep Rotto running by backing us on Patreon or on... Um, Oh, what do you call it? Patreon or YouTube here, you know, as, as a member or on Twitch. You know, you know, 
you folks are um, ensuring that we can keep bringing all this stuff to you every month. And so thank you to everybody, but I also want to say a super shout out, thank you to all the high-level backers. And so I will read their names now in alphabetical order. Thank you, Adrian Dong. Thank you, Isis Simeonis. Uh, Isis, your name is so hard and it's always the second one every month. Ben, Blake Wilson. Uh, Thanks. Charles Hill, thank you very much. The Chris's, Chris Arnold and Chris Steele. Thank you, thank you. CK Mom, Cobra Misfit. Thanks and thanks. Dan Halligan, happy to have you on board. Uh, Dave Salvatore and Davey Davis. All the Daves in one little section. Thank you, Dave, Dave, Davey. Uh, Denmawa 2030 CE. I still need to know what happens in 2030, Denmawa. Uh, Dennis Inti. Dr. Foo. Thank you, arch-villain from one of the greatest co-ops of all time, The Loop. Thank you for supporting the show, Dr. Foo. And Dennis Inti. And Eric Z. And Hans Peter Bach, who's been a long-time supporter of the show. Thank you, Hans. Uh, Heather Rudarian. Jay Huber. Jeff Glasson. And Jeff Hoffman. The Jays, all the Jays, thank you. Um, oh, but wait, let's not forget Jerry Reese and Jimmy Schroeder Hansen. Thanks again. Um, uh, Cameron Zafar, Caitlin Albert, and um, Kisa Griffin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lisa needs braces. I, it makes me smile every time I see your name. Thank you. Uh, LNB. <laughs> Uh, Marilyn, Marlon Cruz, also known as El Crosso, Martin Griffin, Mike Bloom, and Mom Gamer. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Paul Martinez, Selma Lee, Cheryl Lauback, Spellinport, the friendly local game store, uh, Stacy Lee and Stervo Colini. Thank you for all my S backers. Tom Cohen, thank you. And finally, uh, always coming at the end because they start with V, Victory VHD Vic. Thanks for all your support. And to everybody else. And to you for watching the show, folks. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Subscribe. Did you subscribe? Did you click on any of those things? I'm done, folks. This was one take. I'm out. Out! Outsville! Bye-bye! 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 Bye, bye, bye. I don't know how long this goes on. Bye. I have 20 seconds to fill here. Bye.